right, we are back. Shout out to all of our listeners and fellow sports card enthusiasts. If you're new to the show, welcome to the 615 Collector. I am Doug Turner, and my partner here is Brandon Turner, and we are your host of the show that's dedicated to the world of sports and sports cards. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to all of our listeners. We're glad you're here. Uh, quick reminder before we get started, we are independent. We do not take sponsorships or get paid by anybody that we talk about in our show. That is intentional so that you can rest assured the information we provide is unbiased and is not financially motivated. Yeah, we always like to say that at the top of the show. And let's go ahead and jump right in today and get started by giving the rundown. All right, yeah. So we're going to start off with a status update and some of our grading submissions. Then we're going to talk about or buying and selling. And then keeping with the tradition, we'll take a look at the athletes that wore the jersey number of our show number. This is 25 today. We'll then cover all the latest hobby news in the Halftime Report. And then finally, in our film study segment, we're going to talk about the NBA and NHL playoff races. And we've got some early baseball results to discuss as well. Yeah, lots of good stuff. So we'll go ahead and jump right in. And also, real quick, too, just because we talked last time that we were going to have a guest interview on today's show. We did do that guest interview, but we're actually going to drop that next week probably going to drop it early we might drop two podcasts next week so we're thinking we might drop that on tuesday and then come back and do our regular show on friday so look forward to that we're going to make some posts on that in our social media to announce who that guest is but we're excited about it it was a fantastic interview you're not going to want to miss it so stay tuned for that but so for today we're going to have our normal show and there's a lot to talk about and so let's see you know we don't have a historic moment in sports but i feel like we should at least touch on a very historic moment that is today because we are recording this on april 15th which is not only tax day actually because it followed on good friday tax day would be monday so that's nice get a little little extension to file your tax returns but it's actually jackie robinson day in baseball and if you don't know what Jackie Robinson Day is, it's just the day that we celebrate Jackie Robinson and everything that he meant to the game of basket or basketball, to the game of baseball, I should say. And it was because it was on this day in 1947 that Jackie Robinson started a game for the Brooklyn Dodgers and became the first black player in the major leagues of baseball in the modern era, anyway. And so. Hats off today to Jackie Robinson. Absolutely. And don't have a lot of card stuff on him, but what I would say is, for the most part, his rookie card, he is in the 1948 Leaf set. That's an iconic, classic card. It's very expensive, so you'll have to uh, just go out. If you want to go after it, you're going to have to go after the grade you can afford. Even in a low grade, like, say, PSA 4, it still sells for around fifteen, sixteen thousand $16,000, something like that. He's got a lot of classics. I like the 1956 Topps Jackie Robinson card. That is a great card. The 53 Jackie Robinson is another classic of his. I, I think those two are probably my favorites outside of the Leaf card. Uh, there is a 49 Bowman that's very popular as well. Those are some of kind of his classic vintage cards there's others there's the 55 tops and some others but those are the 53 the 56 tops the 48 leaf the 49 bowman i would say those are probably my personal favorites but with all of his stuff it's going to be expensive on that vintage stuff and so if you want to go after it it's one of those ones where you just you buy the grade that you can afford all right 
let's let's see where do we want to begin we talk about our our grading submissions i guess a little bit for sure don't have a lot on the psa orders haven't submitted anything further to psa but we did have we'd had three orders still open with them none of them had hit grading status yet they were all on research and id a couple of them had been research id for a long time and i think it's because their autograph you know one order was the autograph cards and i think those take a little while longer but all of the orders have now hit into grading status so excited about that so hopefully we're going to find out what their grades are and get those back soon and remember one of the orders we've got all the 1962 tops bucks baseball Another order was kind of an eclectic mix of all kinds of stuff. We had a USFL Steve Young card. There was, a, gosh, I can't even remember all kinds of stuff that we had in that one. I think a Walter Payton rookie, some other, some 73 tops cards, some some like 60 Fleer baseball. Anyway, and then the other order was we had five of the different autograph. We had a remember that a flawless Steve Largent uh, patch auto. There was an Ezekiel Elliott patch auto. There was a, uh, in the 2018 Sapphire Chrome, it was an auto for, I think, Ozzy Albies. Uh, we had a Ricky Henderson rookie card that he autographed here at the Nashville show. That was cool. And I can't remember what else, but it was all autographed cards. So anyway, so those are all on grading status. So I'm really looking forward to seeing, oh, the Justin Fields. That was one we had, the Justin mm-hmm. Fields first off the line. Panini Contenders draft pick auto. So I'm looking forward to seeing what those grades are. We also are going to be sending a submission in to SGC. We talked about, I think on our last show, that Louis Robert, Louis Robert, Lou Bob is also what he goes by. But we pulled that patch auto card from the 2022 Tops Inception. That's a really nice card. So we're going to send that one in to SGC to get graded. And there's some other stuff that we're going to include with that. There's some other baseball cards. We're going to send in some Panini certified football cards from 2021. They were all serial numbered. We've got a Tom Brady and a Jonathan Taylor, and even a Drew Locke. Believe it or not, I'm going to send in a Drew Locke. Yeah, send in a Drew Locke. Yeah, it's a because it's a it's number it's serial number to ten. It's, it's okay. It's like you know, so there's only ten of them, and you know he's going to Seattle. I don't know. We'll see. It's probably not going to be carry a lot of value, but I'm, I'm going to send it in. And then, oh, those UFC cards. We talked about those UFC cards we got at the mm-hmm. Mint Collective. They were special. I think the white sparkle. Is that the right parallel that they were? I think so. But we're going to send those in to SGC as well. So we got a bunch of stuff that were, I think, two different orders, actually. There was one that's a 10-card order. I've got another that will probably be 10 or 20 cards that we're going to put together to send in to SGC. So we'll let you know what happens with those. And then what else do we got? Oh, the... Um, Tiger Woods had a decent match, made the cut in the Masters. So right, that that alone was a win. It's pretty impressive. After yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, you think about it. The guy hadn't played golf in over a year. Mm-hmm. Had that accident, and you could see it when he was walking. You could just tell watching him walk. You could see he was in pain. But to make to play at that caliber, you know, to make the cut at the Masters without, I mean, <laughs> you know, he kind of felt. You could tell the last two rounds were some of the worst rounds I think he's ever shot at the Masters. But you could tell, I think, his, his leg, he was hurting. And so I'm sure that had a big impact on it. But it was fun to see him back on the course. His clubs, and there's some controversy on this, always is, right, in this space. But he had some clubs that auctioned off. Supposedly they were his Tiger Woods clubs. They auctioned off for $5.1 million. But there, the controversy around it is that there have been some questions 
about the authenticity of those clubs. I'm not familiar with all the details on this. I got to admit, I didn't do a ton of research and homework on it um, because, frankly, I just don't care. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I think I That's think fair. you know, getting Tiger memorabilia would be really cool, but I just didn't care too much about this, um, the story. But apparently, his agent. I don't think I think Tiger's been silent on it, but his agent apparently has come out and said, "Hey, those are not actually." the clubs that Tiger used in, because I forget the tournament. It was like a course of several tournaments that he supposedly used these clubs, and and they said, no, it's not actually the clubs he used in them. They are, they are his clubs, but they're clubs that he just gave away. They weren't actually used in a tournament. I, who knows what the whole story is. But apparently all that got disclosed, and they still auctioned off for $5.1 So anyway, who knows? He is arguably the GOAT, he is the goat. in golf. He is the goat. Um, so, what else we got going on? Fantasy baseball. We had our fantasy baseball draft. You didn't play this year, but I got I a team. I don't think I really ever play. No, well, you used to. But I got a team. I was surprised. I actually am really excited about my team, so we'll see. Because I, I picked up. So, I I ended up with the first pick in the draft, which I don't like. I actually think it's the worst. It's a snake draft. So, I think I, I'd rather have like position like 8, 9, or 10. So, you get kind of two picks in that top what 12 or 14 so with the one you get yeah you get the first pick in the draft but then you have to wait till what pick number 20 or whatever it is before it comes back to you anyway that said there were a bunch of players that came back to me i was surprised they were still on the board so i got one i I used the first pick to get juan soto and then when it came back to me vladimir guerrero jr was still available Hmm. i was shocked by that so i got vladimir guerrero jr i got Bo bichette and uh, I got oh, and I got Mike Trout. He was still available. Uh, yeah. How did all that happen? I don't know how Trout would be still available. Yeah, and then um, the of course Tatis, Tatis Jr. injured, so he fell. So I, I picked. I actually took a shot on him. Picked him up in the late rounds. It was like I don't know, round eleven or twelve or fourteen or whenever it was. I picked him up late, but got him on the bench, waiting for him to come back. Uh, Joey Bart. Now I didn't use. I think I used the last, the next, the last round or the last round pick to get Joey Bart. But he's the new prospect rookie catcher for the San Francisco Giants. He's had a good start to the season, actually. I like him. Like some of his cards too. So he's an interesting one. But I got him on my team. Jazz Chisholm with Miami picked him up. Anyway, so I'm excited about my team. I'm not so sure about my pitchers. I focused a lot more on the hitters than the pitchers. But I'm excited about the team. And then what other big news happened this week? Oh, the Raiders, did you see, gave a big contract extension to Derek Carr? Yeah, it's not surprising. No, not surprising at all. I didn't realize Josh McDaniels is their new head coach. I must have missed I that didn't news. Either. I didn't see that either. Yeah, hmm. I must have missed that news. You know, obviously he's got Devontae Adams mm-hmm. this year, so Should he's going to be an interesting season. one to watch. Talk a little buying yeah, and selling really selling, quick. Yeah. So I continue to build out the My House set from the 2019 Don Russ Optic. I'm looking to get all hollows and all in PSA 10. I've now got 13 as of the in our show notes as I got 12, but I actually picked up one today. I got a Zion today. Hmm. I got to tell you, this is a for what it's worth. You be patient, do your research. You can find some of this stuff. I've been buying this stuff frankly for probably 30% discounts to what other comparable sales are happening on these cards but it's because i've been really patient i've been sort of scouring ebay and other you know marketplaces and then you know i've just disciplined to my price point and see what happens and i've been able to 
pick some stuff up. So I picked up a Zion Hollow PSA 10 for about 70 bucks. Bunch of his stuff being offered right now around 120, 100, that same card, 120, 150. Some sales in the 90 to $100 range. So I was pretty happy about picking that one up for 70 bucks. I got that in an eBay auction. And so I've added that. So I've got 13 of the 20. The other ones are going to be harder because I've scoured and the internet marketplaces for them and they're hard to find. There's not yeah. a lot of them out there. Yeah. I've also been adding to the 1986 Fleer basketball set that I'm building all in PSA 9s. So I picked up a Joe Barry Carroll, a Bill Lame beer, nice. bad boy from De- Detroit. I like that. Yeah. So I've got close to 30 of those now. I remember Probably the a- first, um, one of the first, like, three-point shooting centers really to start it yeah. beer was yeah oh. i mean you think about that it's kind of interesting detroit was kind of playing small ball before anybody else was and everybody was getting mad at them for it he was also That's what isaiah thomas would always say yeah because he's like we were doing it before and they were all saying we were playing well, they were wrong. also the bad boys they used to just oh i know I mean, they had the jordan I know, rules but i just think that's interesting they got he was probably like one of the first centers that shot threes yeah yeah i i, I like him he, he was fun to watch and those games between Detroit and Chicago were yeah. always fun to watch and then we talked about SGC earlier so I did want to touch on that because last time I talked about I remember I said I picked up a Tim Duncan rookie but I actually got that in an SGC 10 and I do have to say I continue to like the strategy I may be totally wrong about this so take it with a grain of salt do your own research do what you want to do but I just like the strategy of buying some of these cards that are in SGC 10 slabs. They're graded 10s because they're trading at massive, in some cases, it's not always, but in some cases they're trading at big discounts to what a PSA 10, say, would sell for. And to be honest with you, I, I, don't, I don't understand it. I don't see a reason for the, as big of a price difference as there is. So like that Tim Duncan that I picked up, I probably paid... 50 to 60% of what a PSA 10 would go for. To me, that's a steal. And now SGC has been closing the gap on a lot of cards, but there's still stuff out there that's trading at a big discount. And I just don't see a reason for it. I really don't. The only legitimate reason I could see would be if that the grade was easier to obtain. So if you said, oh, well, the grade's easier to get, it 10's easier to get at SGC and therefore maybe value-wise it's more equivalent to a PSA 9 or something like that. But to be honest with you, that's not been my experience. Frankly, I've found SGC to be a very tough grade. I've also found them to be more consistent in their grading than some of the other grading companies. I haven't gotten nearly as many surprises on what I would have expected. You know, I've graded all the cards myself before we submit them. And generally speaking, especially when they come back from SGC, we're pretty spot on. Some of the other companies, you know, 80, 90% of them are spot on, but there's been one or two surprises it's been a little more inconsistent than it has with SGC. But I also find that SGC is tough. That you know, Getting a 10 is not easy. I, I don't find them to be more lenient than the other companies. And so if there's not a quality difference in that regard, then to me there's no legitimate reason for the value difference. It's purely perception. Maybe it's preference from people. But I don't know. I'm not finding that. I think the hobby is, is uh, you know, I like SGC. You know, some some people have different opinions on different things, but SGC has certainly made inroads over the last several years. They've obviously been one of the major top major grading companies for a long time, 
but as all the other as packet and PSA all shut down you know SGC gained a lot of market share during that time and I think we saw wasn't it last month that SGC was number two in terms of number cards graded behind PSA was so. PSA was yeah. one SGC was two I think so and then Beckett was three and, and CSG was four so really like SGC and I like that strategy of finding tens at really big discounts because I just don't think that's going to last. I think that SGC card is going to close that value gap over time. I really do. Like I said, I could be wrong about that, but who knows. And we're going to try, by the way, we're trying to get Peter from SGC on the show. So hopefully we're going to have him as a guest interview here coming up in the next few weeks. And we can maybe ask him about that and get his perspective on why he thinks sometimes there is that value difference there. All right, let's move on. You want to talk about the Brady story because it won't go away. I don't. I know. I figured as much. We won't. We, we won't talk, talk about, about it. it. We won't. But I will say there. There is now speculation. People are now spe- And I actually don't think this is going to happen. But there's now people because there's truth to all the rumors now that were out there about him going to Miami. There's people saying, hey, he might actually still go there. Like that might be the whole reason that Tyree Kill wanted to go to Miami. I, look, Kansas City ultimately had to be the one to trade. But remember, he they they did have two deals on the table. And they asked Tyreek, pick the one where you want to go. And yeah, he I'm picked Miami. Say, if he's, Tampa Bay has to trade him, but this is Tom Brady, I'm pretty sure he's basically in charge of where he goes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, let's be honest. Like, Agreed. An athlete of that caliber basically decides where they want to go. I mean, you see it. I mean, you see that in every yeah. sport. So. so I don't, personally, I don't think he'll end up in Miami, but I will say if it did happen, if there was all of a sudden we wake up one day and there's some surprise news that Brady's going to Miami, it wouldn't be surprising to me because we've covered all the the backstory on all this stuff so all right we won't that's all we'll give to that where do we go next jersey numbers jersey numbers show number 25 another big one mark mcguire right out of the gate robert ori some more controversy (laughs) mark mcguire one of the you know steroid enhanced that's fine but jim tomey another big one in baseball Fred Blitnikoff in uh, football, Richard Sherman football, Steve Kerr, yeah, basketball. That's nice. I like Steve. Yeah, and then Robert Horry. Now that was with he wore yeah, twenty five with Houston. I was gonna say I'm not sure Didn't if he wear, wore that with like the Lakers. Or, no, he did not. I think it was yeah. eight with the Lakers, mm-hmm. if I'm not mistaken. I think he was eight actually, which is was Kobe. So that must have, then well, that answers our question. When did Kobe wear twenty four and when did he wear eight? Yeah. When did Robert Horry play with the Lakers? That was later, the later two championships, I don't right? Remember. Or was that the early? I honestly don't remember. I don't know. Yeah, I yeah. don't remember. I honestly don't remember. I want to say. Maybe it was. I don't know. I don't want to say anything. Actually, I f- I feel like it was later, but I don't know. Yeah. Anyway, it it very well may have been, but yeah. So he didn't wear. This has been the challenge with these numbers is because a lot of these guys didn't wear the same number for their entire career. Because when they changed teams, you know, maybe the team they went to, the number they were wearing, mm-hmm. you know, they had another star wearing it, or it was the number was retired or whatever. So it makes it a little bit challenging. Um, I'm going to come back to that one on the list because, uh, but Derek Rose, man, that's, he's like probably the greatest, like, what if like story ever. Yeah. We don't need to go into that, but I'm just like, man, like, like we want to talk about what ifs. That's probably like the biggest what if like ever. Really? Uh, MVP his rookie year. And then he gets hurt and like, yeah, you gotta be kidding me. He could have been, he, he was knee. seriously, if he kept playing, he seriously could have been the face of the league. Like. Yeah. Potentially. I mean, it was one year, but like still. Yeah. Uh, now, here's the thing. We mentioned Barry Bonds last time because last show was 24, and he wore 24 in Pittsburgh. 
but he actually wore 25 as well. When he went to San Francisco, 24 was, this is one of those numbers that was retired because that was Willie Mays' number. Yeah. And we talked about Willie Mays last time. Well, so he had to switch and become 25 while he was in San Francisco. Uh, Mark Price, his number 25 is retired by Cleveland Cavaliers basketball. And then another, so there's a lot of steroid era guys because you have McGuire, you have Bonds, another one, Rafael Palmero in baseball. I threw a couple of uh, Denver guys in here. Chris Harris Jr., he's with the Chargers, I think, now, but he played a long time for the Broncos, cornerback. Dan Issel yeah. for the Denver Nuggets, mm-hmm. Hall of Famer, right? Yeah. Uh, I think he only wore it for two, he's another one of those guys didn't wear it the entire time. Okay, well, then we got a couple of hockey guys. So we got Joe Neuendijk. He won Stanley Cup championships with three different teams. He's in the Hall of Fame. We have uh, Jack Lemaire. Did I pronounce that right? Jack, Jack, Jack Lemaire. Lemaire, yeah. yeah. Player and coach, eight-time Stanley Cup winner, named as, as one of the NHL's greatest 100 players. Darren McCarty, four-time Stanley Cup winner. And then going back to basketball, you got Doc Rivers. What about Ben Simmons? You put his name on this list? Yeah. So another Denver Bronco I had to get on there, Haven Moses, wide receiver for the Broncos way back in the day. In the WNBA, you have Becky Hammond, mm-hmm. eight seasons in New York, eight in San Antonio, four WNBA finals appearances. Becky Hammond's an interesting one because she actually was the assistant coach for the men's San Antonio Spurs in the NBA. And she actually just announced her departure there. She's going to become the head coach for the WNBA Las Vegas Aces. And she's actually been mentioned at potentially being a candidate to be the first female coach in the NBA, too. Yeah. She took over in, like, one game after Pop got ejected. And I think that was, like, the first time that's ever happened that, like, a a female has been. Really? Yeah, because she was, like, acting head coach. Yeah. And that was, like, that was history, apparently. Absolutely. It's interesting. Yeah. All right. Well, what do you think? Where, where Are you going Robert Ori on this um, list? I don't know. It's an interesting list. The Denver guys I go, like. I'm going to go with D-Rose. I yeah. Like, I like D-Rose. Eric I really Rose. wish he wouldn't have had all those injuries. Yep. Chicago Bulls. Yeah. Okay. That's... I like He's come back and actually, I mean, he's come back. He's had, and he's, he's settled into that six-man role, and he's been super effective in it actually yeah. which is admirable yeah so here's the thing if i gotta pick one i'm actually gonna go becky hammond yeah i'm, I'm good with that yeah. yeah yeah i would go with the denver guys i love obviously i'm a big denver fan so chris harris jr haven moses dan Issel, those are all great but if i have to pick one i can't pick one between them so i have to pick one i'm going becky hammond and i mean you can't you know look she's a legend, not only as a player in the WNBA, but also now as a coach. Mm-hmm. So, all right, let's move on. Let's get to, do you have anything more there? I don't. All right, well then let's get to the halftime report. All right, so we're going to start off with some auction news. Some nice collections will be coming to auction in the coming weeks, starting with the collection of the late Manny Gordon. Manny was described as a passionate collector and unfortunately passed away a couple of years ago. Now his collection is going to be shared with collectors worldwide. Yeah, Memory Lane is going to be auctioning off his collection, which includes a trove of high-grade 1933 and 1934 Gaudi baseball cards. I love the Gaudi cards. 
and those were among his favorites as well. Apparently, sounds like about 311 of those Gaudi cards are being offered, and get this, all of them are graded an eight or nine by PSA. That is insane. Those you rarely, I don't, I think the pop counts on those are in the like literally low single digits, maybe three to five or something like that. You just don't find those in that high a grade. And this includes all four of the Babe Ruth cards that are in the 1933 set, each of those graded an eight, plus there's a Lou Gehrig card graded a nine. The story goes that Manny rekindled his childhood interest in baseball cards in 07 and focused on the highest quality cards. So many of his cards have some of the highest grades achieved for cards in those sets. Yeah, and he apparently also collected a number of the high-grade T206 cards. We've talked about those in the past, but the Gaudi ones are the ones that will likely get the most attention. Uh, that group of cards includes, we just talked about a rarely seen PSA 8 Babe Ruth number 53. Last year, Memory Lane sold the lone PSA 9 of that card that belonged to another avid collector, Dr. Thomas Newman, after he passed away. That was known as the Newman Collection, and that card sold for $4.2 million. Another collection, this one from the personal collection of Pro Football Hall of Famer Ronnie Lott will be up for auction beginning next week. Yeah, that one is being offered by Heritage Auctions and includes a number of game-worn items from Lott, as well as autograph memorabilia and things that he had collected from other athletes. Lott is a member of the NFL's 100th anniversary team and was a first-round draft pick of the San Francisco 49ers, where he spent the bulk of his career winning four Super Bowl championships. Yeah, and the jersey that he wore in that fourth title game in January of 1990 is going to be up for sale. It's expected to fetch at least $40,000, although quite honestly I'm not sure how they come up with that amount. Other items he has put up for sale include a Pro Bowl jersey, his 1980 USC Rose Bowl jacket, and a bloodstained jersey worn in the 1995 preseason when he was with the Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, one item that I thought was pretty interesting is that he's going to be auctioning off his 1987 49ers playbook, which apparently is a three-ring binder with 500 pages of defensive alignments and actually also includes team instructions for off-field behavior. <laughs> there will also be over 700 of his own football cards as well as dozens of autographed items from other athletes and gifts he received from various sports teams. The auction is set to open April 21st with the entire catalog closing over a three-night period starting on May 12th and going through May 14th. Yeah, and for reference, Ronnie Lott's rookie card is in the ninth. I believe it's his rookies in the 1982 Tops set. A PSA 10 will run you probably about 1600 bucks. Uh, you can get a PSA 9 for probably around $200. There was a report out that showed, and we talked about this I think in our last show, that showed how many cards were graded in March. Uh, there was a total of about 1.2 million cards between the major grading companies, PSA, SGC, Beckett, and CSG. And so I wanted to touch on this for just a minute because I have heard a lot of people talking in the space about how there's going to be this tsunami of cards coming back over the next few months. But the reality it is, I would tell you that that tsunami has already arrived. It's already been with us over the last several months. And so this really isn't anything new. We are really more at the tail end of this than we are at the beginning of it. Remember, PSA has been churning out about 800,000 cards a month or so for quite some time. And so the fact that they did a million cards in March, you know, yeah, that's a 25% increase, 200,000 more. But remember, they're also towards the end of clearing out the backlog. I think they've got about three or four million items left to clear. But remember, that backlog at one point was thought to be over 13 million. So that means that, you know, we've already cleared through. What is that? Maybe 70% of the backlog is already through. So the tsunami, frankly, is already coming. We're on the backside of that now. 
and if they're at a million month per or you know cards per month pace that mean over the next three or four months you know we're, they're going to be clearing out the backlog entirely and sending back maybe six to eight hundred thousand more slabs than they did over the prior three or four months and so i guess that might be the tsunami that people are talking about and it's a lot for sure but keep in mind a lot of those cards are not going to be worth that much as well because there's a lot of people that sent in some lower value base cards when they were really hot in the bubble we had back in the spring of, of 2021 and so I don't know that it's going to honestly have a huge impact on the market more so than what has already occurred because the market's been a little soft especially for the low to mid end of the market high end is not but the low and mid end has been because it's been anticipating a lot of this supply coming back which as we just noted has already been coming back so we've already absorbed a lot of that you know if you look over the last year PSA alone has graded about 9 million cards um, like I said it's about 70% of their estimated backlog so much closer to the end than the beginning of this and by the way one other important point here is that TCG or trading card game cards which is like Pokemon and that kind of thing those account for the majority of the cards um, that uh, the PSA has been grading that the TC actually you know this wasn't the case in the past that was a small percentage but now it is actually the large of all the categories right basketball football baseball golf hockey so forth uh, TCG cards has actually grown by more than any other category with basketball running a close second so in March as an example when PSA graded a million cards TCG cards represented 30 percent of all the graded cards so if you strip out TCG the increase in non-TCG cards is still up but not by nearly as much it's not nearly as dramatic as it looks otherwise so again I just think the idea of this kind of tsunami of all these cards coming back is a little bit overblown anyway it's it's a good thing that we're at the tail end of this and I actually think that as we progress through the year we get closer to the end of this year I think we'll begin to see the supply dwindle a lot of the new collectors, investors that have gotten into the hobby maybe didn't have as much experience with grading cards. They've learned their lesson, maybe the hard way, unfortunately, but they've certainly learned their lesson about what cards should and shouldn't be graded. So I do think the market will be a little more rational and more in balance going forward. And this is why several shows ago, actually probably several months ago, we talked about how we felt like the market as a whole would be soft over the next you know, 6, 12, 18 months, but that over long haul, we remain bullish and so i think again we're getting we're getting close to that. i think we may have another you know six months or so of a little softness due to the supply but i think it's going to start to balance itself out and then like i said over long haul we're bullish so all right let's move on all right some data about ebay sellers was released and three trading card dealers are among ebay's 10 highest volume sellers in the world the data shows that com c comc which stands for check out my cards we've talked about them before they're seventh uh, DC Sports is 8th and Greg Morris Cards is 10th and a lot of those companies by the way are consigners so they are uh, firms that will take your cards in and sell them on eBay in auctions on your behalf and not far behind those are a few other trading card dealers that we've talked about before including Probstein they are 13th Burbank Sports Cards like them a lot they're one of the largest ones in California and they are at 17th on the list a new survey that came out showed that over 61% of Americans consider themselves to be collectors of something with trading cards high on the list. Yeah, I thought this was interesting. Um, this was a survey by a company called Magnify Money. Not terribly familiar with them, but they surveyed more than 1,500 Americans. So 
again, I don't, that's not a particularly large number for a survey, so I don't know that you can draw a huge number of conclusions from this, but they surveyed 1,500 people to find out who's collecting and learn more about why they do. They said that over 80% of collectors believe their items will have future value, and some of the key findings in the survey include that 61% are self-claimed collectors, as we said, with coins topping the list, followed by toys or dolls, trading cards, and then jewelry as the most collected items. Yeah, it also found that the younger generations are more likely to be collectors than the older ones. I thought that was kind of interesting. And stop the presses here. Not everyone spends a huge amount of money on their collections. Shocking. Obviously not really. I'm saying that with tongue-in-cheek. But there are a lot of people in the hobby, I think, sometimes that have a false belief that everyone's spending or is willing to spend just these huge sums of money on cards. And the reality of it, that's not the case. The hobby can be guilty of at times of only focusing on the high end and it's not good frankly and it's something we've talked about a lot we've talked about the bifurcation of the market between the high end and the low end and how that's not healthy and it's something that companies in the space are going to need to address and these survey results are just more evidence of that yeah the survey found that collectors spend an average of six thousand one hundred and thirty one dollars on what they own interestingly enough it also found that far more people have never heard of nfts which was 43 percent than those who have tried to invest in them, which is 15%. Yeah, that is interesting. And then this next stat was something that I don't think is necessarily good and speaks to our rant last week that was inspired by some of Chris's comments from Card Ladder. The survey found that the majority of Americans don't think collectibles and NFTs are good investments. Only 44% say they believe collectibles are, and only 30% said they believe NFTs are. So that now, on the one hand, you could look at that and say, well, that's not great. On the other hand, you could look at that and say, well, there's a lot of, you know, oftentimes people don't realize it until it's already, you know, kind of happened. And so it'll be interesting to maybe if you did this same survey a year from now or two years from now to see how that might change. Because I think there's that in some ways proves our thesis about the long-term bullishness is that there's a lot of opportunity for that to improve. And as more people view that, as or view this space as you know good long-term investments then that's only going to continue to drive values higher and so since that number is low now that means there's opportunity to improve it and as we do improve it that's what creates a bullish uh, future for the space so a bi-monthly overview of the market for unopened sports packs and boxes called the sealed report provides some insight on what's hot and what's not and no surprise here among the hot list is the 2022 Topps First Edition First Series Baseball release. Yeah, those boxes first sold for $350 a box. They're now being offered at around $500 a box. I've actually seen some for as much as six dollars to $800. The cards in this box, let's make sure people don't get this confused. This is not the 2022 Topps flagship set. I mean, it is that set. They mimic, mimic the base flagship set, but this is the first edition, first series release. There's actually a first edition foil stamp on each card, and so these were not produced in as much mass as the flagship base product. The excitement over this box has largely been driven by the rookie card of Wander Franco. Yeah, that card is selling, the Wander Franco rookie, selling for around 100 to $150 right now for the base, and parallels are going for more. Another hot product of the boxes of the 1984 Donruss baseball yeah, this is this one really takes me back. We've talked about it before on the show because it contains or may contain the rookie card of Don Mattingly, which really jump-started the card collecting craze back in the 1980s and 1990s. 
and we've actually that was one of the cards that was in that submission we've got to uh, PSA was a 1984 Don Russ Don Mattingly rookie card and a PSA 10 that Don Mattingly Don Russ rookie card recently sold for nearly four thousand six hundred dollars and the pop count is about like 300 for that card yeah according to the sealed report a sealed box a wax box I should say of 36 packs will cost you around seven to eight hundred dollars for those with individual packs maybe costing around $25, you've got a 1 in 44 chance of getting a Mattingly in a single pack. And so since there's 36 packs, you got a pretty decent shot, not guaranteed, but a pretty decent shot at landing at least one Mattingly in the box. No guarantee, though, if you do land that Mattingly, that it will grade a 10, which is a mistake, frankly, that I often see people making thinking that, oh, I, if I just pull it pack fresh out of the pack or out of the box, it's going to be a 10 and that's not the case and to give you you just mentioned the 10 selling for $4,600 which is a lot of money but to give you the reference here a PSA 9 just one grade lower sells for about $200 and that has a pop count of 2800 so you can see the big difference right you go from 4600 down to $200 so now translate that to if you paid seven or eight hundred dollars for the box you pull one Don Mattingly and it gets a nine you know you get what maybe a quarter of your money back from that one card now obviously there's other cards in the box you could pull more than one mattingly maybe it could pull a 10 but anyway that you can begin doing the math to kind of understand the financial risk and and opportunity and possibilities um, if you were to pay that for the for a box of those cards on the cold product side the 2019 nfl products are considered ice cold per the report yeah that's due to what's considered to now be a less than stellar draft class Kyler Murray's in that one, but he's not been as hot as he used to be. Other rookies in that will include Daniel Jones and actually Dwayne Haskins, who just the news this past week that he tragically passed away. So our thoughts and prayers with uh, his family. TJ Hawkinson is another rookie. He's the tight end, I think, with the Rams, right? Or was he? No, he was he Detroit? He I can't remember. He's either with Detroit or the Rams. Uh, then you've got Debo Samuel and DK Metcalf those two are wide receivers you know very promising wide receivers but they're on teams with quarterback issues right now moving on to some baseball news Alyssa Nat can become the first female coach on the field in an MLB game yeah the game between the Giants and the San Diego Padres uh the normal first base coach Antone I think is his first name Richardson got ejected for arguing with the ump and so Alyssa came in to replace him as the first base coach we also have some dated news that we missed when it was first announced back in March, but we think it is worth mentioning. That is that Collectors, which is the parent company of PSA, announced that they had hired Chris Carlin as their new director of customer care. Yeah, I thought this was big news. He previously was with Upper Deck, and he was reportedly the longest tenured employee of any of the major card manufacturers. He'd been with Upper Deck for 24 years. He was the head of their customer experience. And so, you know, that seems like probably a little bit of a blow to upper deck and certainly a nice ad for PSA and collectors. After a 37-year hiatus, the USFL is back. Eight teams will make up the league. They will play a 10-week regular season that begins this weekend, Saturday, April 16th, and the championship game will be held on Sunday, July 3rd. Yeah, I can't imagine playing football in the heat on July 3rd, but I'm digressing. The teams will include ones from Michigan, New Jersey, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Birmingham, Houston, New Orleans, and Tampa Bay, and former Titans, because we are the 615 collector, Titans head coach Jeff Fisher, former Titans head coach, I should say, Jeff Fisher, is going to be the coach of the Michigan team. By the way, have you heard the joke what what Jeff Fisher Day is? 
No. August 8th. Hmm. Eight and eight. Hmm. <laughs> All right. Sorry. There are some former NFL players that will be in this league, including Paxton Lynch, who is a former QB for the Denver Broncos. Yeah, he also played for the Seahawks and the Steelers. There will be some new and innovative rules as well. One includes an option to go for a one, two, or three-point try after a touchdown. Yeah, that's interesting. The one and two-point tries are similar to the NFL, but the three-point try apparently is the team will start on the 10-yard line and have one play to score from there. And if they get it, they get three points. And if they don't, they don't. They get nothing. Onside kicks is another new one. Rather than try an onside kick, teams can choose to try and convert a 4th and 12 from the 33-yard line. I actually thought that was an interesting one because, you know, the NFL has toyed around with that rule, and so I'm kind of wondering if they're going to use the USFL, you know, rule to see how it might work and then ultimately maybe implement that in the NFL, but we'll see. Uh, One other item I wanted to touch on is on fanatics because I've heard some people that have kind of honed in on the news that they may go public saying, you know, how this is, you know, potentially this really big news. I'm going to tell you it's really not that big a news. Uh, Of course, they're going to go public. They are likely, very likely going to do an IPO at some point in the not-too-distant future. You don't do all the capital raises with private equity firms and otherwise that they've done without ultimately going public. I think they've made it pretty clear, frankly, and talked publicly about the fact that it's something they are planning on doing. So it's not really news that they're going to come public at some point. The only question is when, what's the timing of that, and whether they're going to do it this year, next year, or later. My guess is it won't be this year. I mean, who knows? Maybe it will be later this year, but I'm guessing it'll be next year. The reason for that is you need good market, or you really want good market conditions in order to come public. And I don't think, certainly right now, the market conditions are not great. I don't personally think they're going to be conducive to an IPO for them this year. But, you know, we'll see. But again, IPO doesn't really change anything fundamentally for them. It just means they're now public. And um, and so, you know, you and I and anyone will have the ability to invest in them if you so choose. Now, you, they will be required to make greater disclosures on their financials. So that will be interesting. We'll get to learn more specifically about their financials in cards and things like that. So um, and my guess, though, is they're going to be coming at a valuation that might make it from an investment perspective that might make it such that a lot of the investment gains will have occurred in the private market before they come public and may not leave as much for public investors in the public market. But again, we'll see. Remember, we talked about their last valuation was $27 billion, something like that. I promise you, if they come public, it's going to be at a valuation higher than that. So let's just for you know, for giggles, say they come at $50 or $2 billion or more valuation in an IPO. Well, that means, you know, they went from, what, a billion or less than a billion to $50 billion in just a few years. I mean, that's a massive increase in valuation. So that's what I mean when I say a lot of the big gains have happened in the private market. And I'm not, you know, you're not going to see them go from $50 billion to a trillion that fast in the public markets. So there probably won't be as much upside for public investors at that point. But again, we'll see. In grading company news, HGA provided an update and announced that Tyler Hitt, the company's founder, is stepping down and leaving the firm. Yeah, the firm uh, said they took on an investor, which I think we talked about before, Armstrong International. They're now running the company, and they said that they've got a passion for the industry. They're committed to the mission of HGA. So we'll see. I saw another update from them today saying they are halting submissions because, remember, they've been they've had a backlog. They're trying to get caught up, and so it sounds like they're going to stop submissions for a few weeks, try to get caught up on that backlog. 
Um, but they say that they're committed to continuing to try to make HGA successful, so we'll see. We've had Tyler, uh, those long-term listeners of our show will know that we had Tyler hit on our show. We interviewed him, really like HGA, uh, really like what they were trying to do, hated, frankly, how the hobby treated them initially, um, but they did get behind in their grading, and so hopefully they can continue to get caught up and be viable or who knows maybe they'll join forces with one of the other major grading companies because there are things i think that the big four grading companies can learn from hga there are things they were doing to try to change the space that i think were good like the custom labels i think was very cool they were bringing technology into the grading process which is something psa is doing now as well so anyway we wish them the best we hope tyler's doing well and also wish him the best and much success all right. Well, I think that does it for the halftime report. So let's go ahead and move on to film study. Okay. Well, you want to start baseball? Yeah. So I guess we could maybe do um, some overreactions. Who's off to a hot start, cold start, that kind of stuff. A couple of interesting news items, though. Pujols hit home run number 680 on his. I think it's going to be fun to see if he can chase 700. I know yeah, there's. We'll be tracking that. It's going to be tough. Yeah, it's going to be tough for him to do it. I don't know. You know, he hasn't hit 20 home runs in several years. So, and he got to, he's got to hit 20 to get to 700. So it'll be tough, but he's not that far away. So, and he used to hit far more than that. So we'll see what happens. The other big news was Kershaw got pulled in the, after the seventh, he pitched seven perfect innings. He was on a strict pitch count of, I think it was 80 pitches, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm. 80 pitches in seven innings? Are you kidding me? That was That's insane. That's like, what is that, 11 pitches? Between 11 Something and 12 like pitches that. per inning? Mm-hmm. That's that's efficient right there. But he had a well, and he had a perfect game, and he struck out like 13. So if you think about that, right, he had, that means he had to have at least three pitches on if, if he struck everyone out in three straight pitches on 13 batters. So, man, that was a dominant outing by Kershaw. But and normally in those situations, if a pitcher's got a perfect game or a no hitter going, you know you let them keep going until it gets broken up. But they stayed true to the pitch count. That's, pulled you know, per- Kershaw after seven. Probably better. And you know Dodgers won the game. Kershaw said he thought it was the right move, and you know maybe it was. Obviously, you're more concerned about the long term health. But I got to tell you, if I'm in Kershaw's shoes, I'm like I want to stay in and go for this perfect game. Oh, for sure. Do not pull but, me out right now. I mean, still. Yeah. Got to be. Uh, Gotta be careful. All right, so some of the guys off to a hot start that I think are interesting um, ones from a card value perspective as well. You've got a guy like Cabrian Hayes with the uh, Pittsburgh Pirates. Obviously, Vladimir Guerrero Jr. I'm really high on him this year. I think a lot of people in the hobby are, and he's been off to a hot start. Hit I think three home runs in one game just the other night. Jose Ramirez is an often overlooked one uh, with Cleveland. Pete Alonso. You know, he was the wasn't he the rookie of the year I think a couple years back in his rookie season hit like 52 home runs or whatever it was then had a down year or two well he's had a hot start Anthony Rizzo in New York you know not kind of surprising Rizzo I mean for left-handed New York for left-handed hitters seems like New York's a friendly ballpark and so you know he used to be with the Cubs but um, now this I think he got traded to the Yankees last year mid-season so this is I think his first will be his first full season with the Yankees He's an interesting one. Of course, Wander Franco, which we've talked about a ton. He's off to a hot start. Um, Dylan Carlson with St. Louis. Chris Bryant's one that's interesting. Used to be with the Cubs. Now he's in Colorado. He's been off to a decent start. And, you know, he's one of those guys where in the rarefied air of Colorado could end up having some, you know, producing some big numbers. 
not necessarily a huge fan of Chris Bryant. I think he strikes out too much. His batting average isn't as great. But again, watch him because a lot of these players that go to Colorado end up, you know, having banner years statistically anyway. Uh, Lou Bob, Louis, Lewis, Robert, who we've talked about, he's off to a good start. Rafael Devers, who we mentioned one or two shows ago. Austin Riley, remember him? He's uh, with the Atlanta Braves. We talked about him a lot last year going into the playoffs, and he had a really good playoff run, had a great regular season as well. He's off to a good start this year. Another former Cub, a lot of former Cubs here uh, with Chris Bryant, Anthony Rizzo, and now Javier Baez in Detroit. I think he's a you know often overlooked one. He's off to a really hot start and could be an interesting one. Uh, Jazz Chisholm, who we mentioned before in Miami, um, obviously Nolan Arenado, Matt Olson. So Matt Olson's now in Atlanta. Used to be with the A's, right? He's been historically been a power hitter, but hasn't necessarily hit for average. So we'll see. I mean, this I'm not sure. Jury's out for me. I think this could be an anomaly. He did switch to the National League with Atlanta from the AL, from the American League with the A's. And oftentimes when players do that, they end up hitting better in the National League than they do in the American League. But I wouldn't necessarily expect his average to hold up over the course of the season, so we'll see. Another one I really like is Joey Bart. We talked about him at the start of the show because I picked him up on my fantasy team, but he's had a good start. He's a rookie catcher for the Giants, so another one to watch. Um, some of the ones that I would say are questionable. So Byron Buxton, this is one that a lot of people in the hobby are hot on. I think there's been some high expectations for him over the years, but he's also been kind of injury-prone. Um, he's putting up some nice stats, but I would just – you know, maybe issue a little bit of caution. Not sure how long that can sustain because he is striking out a ton as well. And so unless that strikeout rate improves, I think it's like 40 or 50% of his at-bats are strikeouts. And so unless that improves, I'm not sure he can sustain the stats. Another one that's been disappointing is Joe Adele. Um, He's with the Angels. He's had a very disappointing start to the season. Another case of a very high strikeout rate. And then a hobby favorite, and one of mine as well, and I've got him on my fantasy baseball team, that's Bo Bichette. Um, really like him, but he's, to be honest, he's been off to a little bit of a slow start, so hopefully he can start heating up. Uh, Jared Kelenek in Seattle was a hot one, hot rookie last year that was talked about. He got called up midseason, so this is his first kind of full year in the majors. He's had an awful start, uh, but it's only 15 at-bats, so again, a lot of this stuff is an overreaction because you know it's a long season, and it only when when you only have 15 at bats, you know you can have one good game and drastically change what your stat line looks like for the year. Uh, Bobby Dalback in Boston's off to a slow start. He was a hot rookie last year. Big difference between his batting average and his on base percentage, which is something I like to look at. And so I think that provides some promise for improvement for him. Uh, Bryce Harper, another one. He MVP last year. He's off to a little bit of a slow start. But again, this has been the case with Bryce Harper for his entire career. His on-base percentage is so much higher than his batting average. And it's been a long-term trade of his because he just gets walked a ton and he's very patient uh, at the plate. And so anyway, um, it'd be interesting to me to see, we talked about this last year, if he actually got the number of, because, you know, a walk doesn't count as an at-bat, right? So if he actually got the actual number of at-bats that a lot of other players get, what kind of stats he could produce, uh, Otani, Shohei Otani off to a slow start at the plate as a hitter, but he's actually looking pretty good on the mound. He's had a, a good start pitching. And then Spencer Torkelson, we talked about him, hot rookie in Detroit, made the big league club this year, um, started slow, but he might be heating up a little bit over the last couple of games. Alex uh, 
oh shoot, I forget how you pronounce his last name, um, Kirillov. I, I probably botched that, that. Right. but he's off to a really bad start. Cody Bellinger is one that's interesting because he has had after the hot rookie year, a couple of down years. He's got a bad batting average to get started this year, but a lot of his other stat lines are looking good. So he'll be one to kind of keep an eye on. On the pitching side, of course, you got Scherzer, you got Kershaw looking good out of the gate. A couple that I think are interesting are Matt Manning. Um, I can't remember if this is his rookie season or it was last or if he was up last year, Um, but he's interesting. And then people, our listeners might remember Michael Lorenzen. Um, I think he may be one to watch. He had a great first start with the Angels. He was the one, remember we talked about the guy the Angels picked up that from the Reds, and it was him, that was potentially going to play both ways, like Shohei Otani, where he was going to be I a hitter so. and pitcher. Yeah. Well, they've now told him he that he's going to focus solely on pitching, so he's not going to play both ways. So in a little way, in a little bit, that's kind of disappointing from my perspective, just from a you know hobby interest perspective, because I think it would have been an interesting storyline if he went both ways. But going to focus on pitching, and he's got some good stuff, and he came out and had a really good first start to the season, so he could be an interesting one to watch. Corbin Burns with Milwaukee looking solid. With pitchers, though, really, it's too early. So any sort of reactions you hear from people, just remember that most of these pitchers have only had like one start, or if they're relief pitchers, maybe they have one game or maybe two games under their belt. So you really can't read too much in to their performance from that. And keep in mind, a lot of it's matchup related too, right? So if, you're, if your first start was against Toronto, which is one of the best, you know, it's one of the best lineups hitting-wise, in baseball then maybe you get off to a rough start but then when you go you know face a different team that has, doesn't have as potent of a lineup all of a sudden you may look like you're doing really good so anyway just keep that in mind we've got to get more games under the belt of both hitters and pitchers before we can really you know decipher some of the trends but that's at least early on kind of you know what's happening with some of the key players to watch i think that's all i had on that all right well, let's keep going basketball Yep, got the playoffs. playoffs. So I guess we can just run through matchups. What do you, you get the score of that Atlanta Cleveland game? Because it's probably almost over at this point. We might know who's won or who's going to win. Let me pull it up here. 74 6, uh, 76 69. What's the, how much time the is third. that? Oh, okay. I was going to say, I thought it was close. Kind of low scoring for those two teams. It's, yeah. But it's, but it's a close one. I yeah, mean, so I don't know who's going to win that one yet. Um, but yeah, no, we got. So, so I got to remember, like Trey Young, we talked about him. He's one of those guys. He, I mean, in in these one game box office. Oh, for sure. Yeah, scenarios. No, for sure. That's why I was like, if Brooklyn loses against Cleveland, has to play Atlanta. I'm not a hundred percent confident in them. But yeah. so our matchups, we have in the East, we have Brooklyn and Boston, which is going to be interesting. Both. And did you hear that they said Simmons might play in Game Four of that? I think that's in such Game a, Four. Yeah, I don't think they're going to play him. I think that's a huge mistake. But apparently, they're they talking him. about he might come back for that. There series. is absolutely no way he's playing. He hasn't even been like. Why would you bring him back in the middle of the playoffs? No, um, just, I don't know. I don't know who said that, but that doesn't make any sense because he's literally hasn't even like actually done normal practice things yet. Yeah, like he's not really running. Yeah, <laughs> how is he gonna come back for game four of a playoff game? I don't, I don't get believe it. that. I yeah. don't think that's happening. Um, and you have Bulls versus Bucks. That one's a doozy. Sixers Toronto. I that's that's the one that I'm the most interested in. Yeah, and Toronto then, could very well upset the 76ers. and then Heat is going to play the winner of this Atlanta-Cleveland game. I would think that's the one you'd be the most interested in. Well, that's just like, I feel like... 
Although you're probably you should be rooting for Atlanta, right? Atlanta. I mean, honestly, it doesn't really matter. Like, <laughs> I don't. I don't think either of these teams can beat Miami in a seven-game series. Um, yeah. But then, so over the West, we have the Suns versus what's well, going to be... Well, hold on. Before we go to the West, let's go back to the East a little well, bit. I was just going to run down on the matchups run through first. Okay. Yeah. All right. Go ahead. Um, and so in the West, we have Suns versus either the Pelicans or the Clippers, whoever wins tonight. Minnesota and Memphis, Golden State, Denver, and then Utah versus Dallas with currently no Luka. So that one should also be kind of a doozy. He's out because he, what, he had a calf injury? He's got a calf injury and it's not looking good for game two and he's already been ruled out for game one so hmm. um, but we can go back so the the ones that i'm most interested in i like i think brooklyn boston is going to be really fun really Absolutely. interesting i think the Kyrie 70s, went off in the first playing game mm-hmm. i think the 76ers in toronto is probably the one that i'm going to look at the closest just because that's i think toronto could that's such a, that's such an interesting series i really think they can and you also have to consider matisse thibault is going to be out in games in toronto because he's not vaccinated mm. so he can't play in toronto and he's their best defender 76ers best defender that's really big so like and harden has been playing great so like that one's really interesting for me i think toronto won the season series 3-1 so like I really, I'm I'm thinking like Toronto could really win this, and this is another rematch of, of the playoff game from like uh, two or three years ago where Kawhi hit the shot that like bounced on the rim like four times and then went in, won Game Seven. So, I mean, I just think that should be a, a fun series regardless. And then finally, I like Minnesota Memphis because I think I think that one's interesting. I think a lot of people don't realize if you don't actually like look and like see kind of what NBA players are saying. Memphis is one of like it's probably like the biggest trash talker in the league <laughs> and Minnesota is absolutely in that conversation too led by Patrick Beverly. Yeah. So I think that's going to be an incredibly chippy series that's going to be really fun to watch especially cuz these are two pretty young teams. Absolutely. So that should be that should be a fun one. Well, and here was interesting about Minnesota and you know obviously you got two kind of marquee players right and Ant-Man for uh Minnesota and Ja Morant for Memphis. So a lot will be made about that. But it's interesting because we talked about during the regular season how Carl Anthony Towns from Minnesota was probably maybe the, the better name to watch over Ant-Man, although Ant-Man's certainly doing as good as well. And when we say Ant-Man, again, for those that don't, Anthony Edwards uh, with the Minnesota Tim- Timber Wolves, right? I'll get yep. into that again. But here's the thing. Is is Ant-Man a little bit like Trey Young? Like he's a guy that shows up for the big games. And and on the flip side is Carl Anthony Towns because he completely flopped in that play-in game. That was not what you're looking for. Well, the out. thing – oh, man, I was getting frustrated with that. Well, I think Carl Anthony Towns, he just needs to kind of take a step back and like learn how to adjust because I think that may have been one of the first times – and what, who they play in the Clippers who, was, who are really good at making adjustments. They have a really good coach in Ty Lue and – he was he was getting frustrated because they figured out like how to like initially like slow him down and stop him and so he was like trying to post up people from like the free throw line and like behind the three point line and like he's just gonna have to figure it out he's just got to get down low yeah and like and just dominate down low and he's got to be good with that because he likes I mean he wants to be the best like big man shooter and he is right now best big man three point shooter but like if he wants to be dominant in these games, he's got to get down low. Yeah. Like, he's he's unstoppable down there. But he meanwhile, really... Ant-Man went off. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, is that something we can expect to see, you think, for the rest of the playoffs? Maybe. 
Because, you know, there are these guys that step up in the big games, He'll have a good game at least one in this series. And we talked about that earlier in the year. Remember, we were talking about how he seemed to always, you know, put up 40 against the best teams in the biggest games. That's why, yeah. I mean, he's a very interestingly competitive person. I like him. He's very funny to me. Just his personality. Um, I can definitely see that being the case. Now, I want to revisit Brooklyn-Boston just for a sec, just because I'm... I just think this is really interesting just because Boston is missing Robert Williams. But I want to talk about the Brooklyn-Cleveland play-in game because that kind of did not give me a lot of confidence in Brooklyn. Really? Um, yeah, well, obviously they have some defensive issues. Um, and the thing is, you like you said, Kyrie played great in that game. KD also played really fantastic in that game as well. So you have both of your two best players playing at the top of their game basically and they barely beat they barely beat a cleveland team that has like half of their team out basically they didn't have jared allen they haven't had colin sexton like all season that's huge like and it was like a seven point win they were up by like 21 point but they lost that lead and it got really close at one point so like i don't know that doesn't really give me a bunch of confidence in brooklyn because especially like i said like they played really well offensively. Kyrie and Katie played great. They actually moved the ball a whole bunch. It was like probably the most ball movement I've seen in a Nets game like all year. Um, well, I haven't seen like a bunch of Nets games, but like, well, I'm so, like their, their offense was was really really working for them. And like to have those two guys play that great and barely win, that's just kind of like. But that I'm does not give me a ton of confidence because they. I mean, they're gonna have to play that way every game yeah. against the best teams in the league. Not Cleveland, not injured Cleveland. True, but you said it early on there that they were at one point they had, you know, a twenty-plus point lead. So there's part of me that wonders if they were maybe got a little lackadaisical, kind of mailed it in a little bit, and you know, maybe let off, let their foot off the gas a little bit thinking that they had the game in hand but that doesn't make any sense because they played so good like that's what i'm saying like they literally played such a great game so it's, but i, I mean know, like, just letting, like i'm just letting not sure. cleveland get back into but it. i'm just not sure defense defensively. defensively i'm not sure that they have that they have like what they need yeah we'll see now i thought like i had always thought like brooklyn can play defense when it actually matters but i'm not sure <laughs> i'm honestly not sure if they if they can do it enough so we'll see. I don't know. That's, that's probably that will probably be the most fun one to watch. I think, but that's well, really all I've got for these. So, but a couple of things to touch on. So, the game tonight between the Pelicans and the Clippers, I think it's an interesting one for a couple of reasons. One is, and you said it right that um, Paul George is out, mm-hmm. right? Yep. So with COVID, I mean that's a big deal. And so that puts the Pelicans, and then McCollum, uh, who you know got traded to the Pelicans from the Trailblazers, and he's one we've talked about a lot. We've you know like him, and he was I think a little bit overshadowed in uh, in Portland by Damian Lillard, but he went off in the first uh, playoff game. Who they played? Uh, who was it again? They played the Spurs, mm-hmm. and uh, and so anyway, so I mean. Looking, I mean, if if he hasn't, if they play like that again, and the Clippers are without Paul George, you could see the Pelicans in the playoffs. You could, I think. I'm taking the Clippers still, just because I like, but they they have struggled against the Pelicans this season, so I don't know. 
And what I find interesting about that, I guess, is that the Pelicans were, what, 10 games under 500 throughout the regular season? Yeah, well, they started like 1-12 and 12 or something, like ridiculous, and they picked it up at the end. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it should be interesting. Um, but yeah, I think that's all I got. We can go ahead and just touch NHL real quick. Well, before Playoffs. we – well, hold on a second. I want to touch a couple other things. I'm just curious to get your thoughts on – let's talk um, – Golden State and Denver. I mean, what do you, who do you have in that series? Depends on if Steph plays. Well, that's the question. Is but he, I, play? I, he said he's probable for game one, so I have Golden State easily. Yeah. I mean, those have been interesting games in the regular season. Those have all been, like, really close, but I'm taking Golden State. Is there easily. anyone here that can challenge the Suns? I mean, if if Golden State has some injuries. Golden, Golden State, if they're healthy. And may, if maybe, Dallas has, may, maybe, if Luka, maybe Memphis. I don't think Dallas. Yeah, no, Dallas maybe. ain't winning. Ain't, ain't beating the Suns. Uh, no, I, that's what I'm saying. Especially not with Luca hurt. Yeah, no. Even if, with Luca, they're not beating the Suns. Memphis and Golden State. I'd really say Golden State just because they have they've been there before. So okay. I, I would be more confident in them than I would in Memphis just because they have not been here before. All of them. All right. Okay. Well, lots of good games to watch coming up, lots of storylines. We'll, let's jump to hockey because we got the playoff race going on there as well. And by the way, today will be a little bit card light. We're going to talk about a lot of players and teams, the playoff race and everything else. Um, we've already done that with baseball and basketball, about to do that with hockey. We're not going to get into a ton of card stuff on a lot of these guys, just. Um, but we'll maybe try to add some more card stuff in next week's show when we do our film study. So today it's more just kind of – the players and the playoff races and all that but so looking at hockey so real quick because i don't know that we've touched on this how the hockey playoffs work so they are there are four divisions two in each conference and the top eight teams go to the playoffs but the way that works is it's the top three teams in each division and then the next two teams are based on the total points in the conference regardless of division earn the wild card spot so you have the top three teams in each division are six and the other two again coming from the top point scoring teams uh, and then the top seed in each division plays one of those wild card teams in its conference so right now it's looking like I mean I think much we've talked before but I think much of this is already set especially in the Eastern Conference you've got Florida Toronto Tampa Bay have all locked in, and Carolina, New York Rangers, and Pittsburgh, I think those have all locked in as your top three in each division. And then you've got Boston and Washington as the top two point getters after that. And so I think that's pretty well locked in. Uh, and, you know, some of the guys I think to look at on some of those teams. So let's, let's start with Florida, um, Jonathan Huberdo and uh, Alexander Barkov are a couple there. Uh, who else we got here? Uh, Toronto, let's see. Let's go to, where's Toronto? There they are, Austin Matthews. So that's one that, um, spoiler alert, you're going to hear in the interview we did with Jerry Helper. Interesting one there. Uh, Michael Bunting is another, you know, younger uh, rookie, interesting with Toronto. Uh, Tampa Bay, you've got uh, Steven Stamkos, uh, Nikita Kucherov coming back. He missed half the season with an injury, but he's back now, and so that should be good for uh, Tampa Bay. Uh, obviously, Pittsburgh's got 
um, Sidney Crosby and uh, Jake Gensel, Malkins there as well, uh, Washington with Ovechkin and uh, John Carlson, and who else am I missing? Uh, the Rangers. Rangers got a, a number of folks. It's interesting that um, Alexis Lafreniere and, and Capo Caco um, didn't have great years. They weren't terrible, but not great. But those are a couple of the younger rookies to watch. But the really the the top scores for the Rangers are um, I'm not, and I don't know how to pronounce these names off the top of my head. So apologies if I'm not getting this right. But Artemi uh, Panarin and uh, uh, Micah Zabanajad. Zabanajad. I'm not sure how you pronounce that. So my apologies uh, to those on that. But um, and then flipping over to the Western conference you've that one we talked before you know the it's colorado minnesota st louis probably have the top three in the central with calgary edmonton uh certainly the top two in the pacific the third spot there a little more up for grabs between los angeles and vegas and then that'll have some implications on the top point getters because both nashville and Dallas are in the other division, um, but they could end up with more points than the third place team in the Pacific division. And so that could, like I said, kind of have an impact ultimately on, on who gets in there. But in the in that Western Conference, you know, Colorado's really got the best record in the conference doing well. We've talked about that in the past. But another one to watch is Edmonton. They've got kind of the one-two punch between Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle, uh, and by the way, uh, and another spoiler alert, we're going to touch on this in the interview with Jerry, mm-hmm. but Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle are both exceeded 100 points this year, and they're, that, that's not something, I'm trying to remember the last year that happened, let me look at my notes, I put some notes here, so last year only one player got 100 points, and that was Connor McDavid, um, the year before that there was only one player to get 100 points, and it was his partner, Leon Drysaddle, okay? Uh, so they both did it, and so the last time it happened was actually the two of them in the 2018-2019 season. Um, and then, and I, Nikita, I don't know if it's Nikita or Nikita, I'm pro- not, not sure if I'm pronouncing that right, but Kucherov from Tampa Bay, he also was 100-point. Patrick Kane from Chicago, Sidney Crosby from Pittsburgh, um, and, and Brad Marchand from, from uh, Boston. And then the 2017-18 season, only um, Connor McDavid got it again, and then uh, Claude Giroux from Philadelphia, and uh, Kucherov from Tampa Bay got 100 points. And then McDavid was the only one to do it in the 2016-17 season. So you're beginning to see why Connor McDavid's cards are so hot in the hobby. <laughs> He's about the only name that keeps popping up every year with 100-point-plus seasons. Uh, Patrick Kane was the only one to do it in the 2015-16 season. Nobody did it in the 2014-15 season. Sidney Crosby was only was the only one to do it in 13-14, and nobody did it in the lockout shortened season in 2012-2013. So what's that? The last 10 or 11 years, and it's only happened twice, and it's by the same two guys. So this year with Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle, and then what three years ago with Connor McDavid and Leon Drysaddle. That's interesting. So, yeah. yeah, yeah, and that's why we talked about those two um as ones that are we think are i think are interesting and um from a from a, a card perspective ones that it potentially go after dry saddle probably gets a little bit overshadowed uh in edmonton with Connor mcdavid he'd probably get a little more of a spotlight if he was putting up the kind of numbers that he's putting up on any other team uh, let's see 
what else in hockey? Um, Calgary is one to watch. You know, they've got Johnny Gaudreau, um, St. Louis, Tarasenko, who's been around for a long time. Nashville, we'll see what, you know, they're not necessarily as hot right now as some of the other teams like Minnesota and uh, Colorado. Um, but there are the local one we'll be rooting for, Roman Yossi. He's, here's what's interesting. So Roman Yossi's a defenseman, right? Um, but he actually, I think, let me double check this because I believe he leads the team in points, which is a little bit unusual. Yeah, he does. Leads the team in points with uh, 19 goals, 68 assists, 87 points. Next closest is Matt Duchesne, who's the center for the team at 75 points. Forsberg's behind him with 72. Johansson behind him with 57. So that's a little bit unusual to see a defenseman um, with with as many points as you see with Yossi. So he's an interesting one. Um, there's another. So Kale McCarr in Colorado is another defenseman um, doing well. And again, typically you don't see defenseman at the top of those lists, although they've got Kadri and, um, of course, McKinnon. Uh, and then we talked about Kirill Kaprizov in Minnesota. Those are some of the guys to watch on on some of the uh, the, the teams that will likely be in the playoffs in hockey. But that's all I got. Like I said, not a lot, of, a little bit of card light today. Mm-hmm. All right, well, I think that'll be the show today then. Hope everybody enjoyed it. We've got some more guest interviews coming up. The next we've got next week, we talked about we're going to have um, a executive with the Nashville Predators. It's going to be on the show. We're really excited about that, so look forward to that. And then we've got some additional interviews with some uh, of the executives in the sports card hobby space, and we'll announce those on social media um, once those get lined up. Brandon, go ahead and take us out. All right, yeah, we hope you guys enjoyed the show today. As we said at the top, please reach out to us. Let us know what you like or don't like, things you'd like to hear more about, because we do love to hear from you. Get your feedback so we can make the show better and more enjoyable. Remember to check us out on social media, like and subscribe to our channels, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and check out our website, www.the615collector.com, and subscribe to our email list. Yeah, please tell your family and friends about us. Encourage them to listen to the show. We'd appreciate that. Give us a five-star rating, whether you like the show or not. As Nike says, just do it. Why not? All right, it's another show in the books. Thanks again, everyone, and we will see you all. Well, we'll see you all next Friday, same time, same place here on the 615 Collector, but we will also see you at a new time, and that is next Tuesday for the guest interview we have with Jerry Helper with the Nashville Predators. Mm -hmm. All right, talk to everybody later. We're out.